May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. What is the average length of a medical office visit? Might be 15, 20 minutes, maybe up to 45, even up to an hour sometimes, although rarely. For many of you, this can be extremely frustrating if you're a patient and you may not even be aware that there might only be a 15 or 30 minute time slot for you to try to cover everything. How is that possible? Or if you're a doctor and you have a patient who comes in with a supposedly one problem, which it turns out it might be fatigue or chronic pain, and now you find out that this isn't an acute problem, but it's a chronic problem, and it's not going to be easily figured out within a short period of time. If you're a patient and this has happened to you, you may leave the office visit feeling that you weren't listened to, or if you were listened to, you didn't really have any tangible answers and solutions. Or if you're a doctor, you may feel overwhelmed and not sure where to go next and what am I going to do? I hope that this podcast has been helpful in bridging the gap between information and understanding that is so much needed in this world of invisible illnesses and applying this both to patients and also to physicians. One of the great opportunities that I have as host of the podcast is to hear from experts in the field of fibromyalgia and related problems. But probably equally as beneficial is the opportunity to hear from those who are living with fibromyalgia. And to that effect, I get a chance today to share with you the story of Dale, who is living in the United Kingdom just outside of London. We will get a chance to hear his story going through his diagnosis, as well as some of the clues that he may have had some early or pre-fibromyalgia symptoms, or he may have had some things that predisposed him in retrospect. We also get a chance to hear how he's found better ways of living with fibromyalgia. Two of those are using his creativity. One of those is through music and the other is through the creative art of photography. You'll want to hear his story if you are living with fibromyalgia and related problems because you will likely draw many parallels to your story. And also, you will at least be validated to some extent because you may often feel like you're the only one going through a problem like fibromyalgia and may not know anybody that's going through this. 
It is also important if you're in the medical community, because as a mentor told me many years ago, you are going to learn a lot from your patients, and hearing stories gives a much deeper contextual understanding of the struggles as well as the potential opportunities to grow in an understanding and also to help people live better. A quick disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. You probably listen to some of the podcasts and I try to give monologues and information, but also interview experts and also have stories of people who are living with fibromyalgia and many are my own patients, but I've gotten a chance to meet people that will never be my patient. Obviously, you're in the UK, but wanted to just say thanks ahead of time for being part of the podcast and sharing your story, what you've been through. I think sometimes it can feel like someone is the only person going through a struggle or experiences. Also, I think it's good for people who are medical professionals to hear the stories, uh, sometimes longer stories than a short Cliff Notes version that sometimes happens in a time-restricted visit, which often can be frustrating. And it's good for loved ones of people who may only intimately know one or two people closely and realize that there are a lot of other people that are going through this, not just their significant other, but... With that said, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And uh, I've, I've got a lot from your, your podcast, so hopefully I can contribute a little bit today. Yeah. And just hearing your story, tell us just generally about yourself and uh, who you are. Yeah, I'm Dale Rockle. Um live in the UK, in England. I'm in a town called Leighton Buzzard, which is about an hour by road-ish from London, 45 minutes, nice and quick on the train, which is great for getting in and, and seeing the sights. What can I tell you? I'm 52, no, 53 years old now. Forgot, I've just had a birthday. Yeah, got A, I'm married, been married for 28 years in a couple of weeks. I've been together for a lot longer than that, 35 years. Got a teenage son who keeps us busy with taxiing him to football matches or soccer matches for the international audience. So he's a blossoming footballer. He has been since he was little. Yeah, that's where I am and that's who I am. Oh, wow. Congratulations. He loves football. Absolutely loves it. I don't know where he gets that from. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if that does it for him and he he gets somewhere, he's not worried too much if he gets the premiership. That would be lovely. It would be great for me to go and watch him play in the the Premier League as well. Um, But, um, you know, even if he was at lower levels and making a living at doing something that he loves, you know, for him to be happy in what he's doing told him find something that you enjoy doing and then work out how to live on that rather than (laughs) getting all the stuff and then wondering how to keep it (laughs) yeah it's a challenge tell us about your story and backstory into getting diagnosed with fibromyalgia often there's backstory uh, to some degree yeah It's probably best to start when I was diagnosed and then sort of work a little bit back from there because once I was diagnosed in 2019, it gave you something that you could then start researching. So I was diagnosed originally about nine months before the official diagnosis by a neurologist consultant that I was seeing because I wasn't feeling right 
there wasn't signs of clinical depression and things like that. But I was struggling with my cognitive side of things and just trying to keep things together. But just as a function and just get through the day, I had about nine months gap between appointments with him. He suggested fibromyalgia. He said, but I can't diagnose that. So he referred me to a pain consultant at the same hospital. And it was Christmas Eve 2019 that I sat there and the pain consultant went through his standard questions. And he said, yeah, he said, to all intents and purposes, we'll treat you with fibromyalgia. Which was, at that point, it had always stopped me working. And that was the point where the neurologist was like, okay, there's something else here. Maybe we need to look into it and get my colleagues involved. And it was September 2019 where I just literally ground to a halt physically and, and mentally through nothing that had changed. I was in a, a demanding, challenging management job in logistics, actually a supply chain for the healthcare sector. So it was temperature controlled. It was a particular contract that I was managing for the organisation I was with, was doing as well as overnight deliveries. It was doing same day chemotherapy treatments. They had to arrive the same moment the patient arrived. So not much pressure <laughs> in making sure that out of about seven locations, the vans that were meant to be where they should be were there. And then one September morning, I got up and I walked past my wife who was blow drying her hair of all things and the wind from it nearly floored me. Just the breeze hitting my head nearly floored me. And then I was realising I, I couldn't comprehend or read the spreadsheets. I was having to track, obviously. It was a three million pound spend by the client on the services we were providing. So there's a lot of numbers there and a lot of things to track, a lot of people complaining and a lot of people demanding this, that and the other. And that's when it was like, okay, I need to sign myself off for a while and find out what's going on because I really was struggling to function. And that was the turning point really. And I've managed since then to keep it on an even keel. Yes, there, as with everybody with fibromyalgia, there are the flare ups. Sometimes you know what's caused them, sometimes you don't, and they just happen. But in terms of feeling like there's any improvement, then that's something I'm three, what, nearly four years down the line, still waiting to feel like I'm getting somewhere. And the biggest challenges for me are the sensitivity that I have all over my body, particularly my spine and my head. My scalp and my face are constantly got a loss of sensation, so almost numb. And the severe cognitive function decline that has occurred as a result, so affecting pretty much everything, reading, writing, mental arithmetic, holding a conversation. You'll probably see, you'll see it on this, if my brain freezes, all of a sudden that's it. And I'll just like, just one second. <laughs> and you'll see me just trying to then go inside and find where I was at. So that's really where things changed. But now that I've been able to reflect on, okay, I've got fibro. I can reflect on the things that led up to that. And there were a lot of warning signs. So the job I was in prior to, to the, the logistics organization was a physical job to pay the bills for the family, having come out of redundancy. And I was just getting some really weird symptoms of losing my balance, just feeling completely lightheaded, forgetting what I was doing, not having the energy to just get up and move and I had to finish that job through pain affecting me be able to go and what I now know is chronic fatigue but at the time it was just a case of I might have a virus or something just feeling a bit off yeah and in this sort of a nutshell that's my journey with 
getting to know that I had fibromyalgia. There's a lot of his story that likely is familiar to yours if you're going through fibromyalgia or if you're a physician or healthcare provider. There was this seemingly sudden onset of symptoms, but as Dale shared, the symptoms had been going on for quite a while. He had a job that was much more physically demanding, but at the tail end or after the job, he started having symptoms of chronic fatigue. I asked him if he had seen a primary care or general practice doctor. Yeah, it's, it all starts with the GP in the UK, and then they refer you on to who they think the specialties you need to see. And because I was initially just experiencing knee pain in one knee and doing this physical work, I was sent to rheumatology. And she looked at me and went, you're mid-40s, you're far too young to be suffering with this much pain in your legs. She sent me for an MRI, nothing. Then I did a little bit of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, six sessions or so. And the, the challenge has been that I don't tick the markers for what they would normally suggest for these things. I don't have depression, all of my tests, blood tests and everything else. I'm perfectly fit and healthy as far as the doctors are concerned. It was to and fro a little bit. And that's when it was like then pain consultant who then led me onto the, the pain team that work underneath him. So various skills there like physiotherapy and, and cognitive sort of thing. But the follow up there finished because they realized I was doing all the things already that they recommended. So through my skills as a manager, I was already trying to do the pacing side, I was then planning my days and trying to just manage it and just do what I needed to do and get the rest done by my team or by bouncing stuff back when it shouldn't have been me and saying no, setting boundaries. Yoga, meditation, trying to eat as healthy as you can when you're on the road for most of the week, going between various locations and trying to eat out of a service station. What's on offer is, is not that easy. You always end up back with your GP. And then when I was discharged because I was already doing everything, they couldn't offer me anything else. Yeah. It's a case of you're doing it all, carry on. And then if you need us, come back. Now we've had the pandemic. The waiting lists are huge. <laughs> now getting a referral back is going to take a long time. This is where the fibro community and people like yourself come in to helping us just steer us and sharing other people's stories helped. Your job was working in logistics. It sounds like it was a blend of high cognitive demands, but you said also some physical aspect to it? Not in the logistics job, not too much. It was mostly desk work. Sometimes I would have to cover a driver if they didn't turn up and jump in a van and do a couple of deliveries, just short runs to a hospital near the, the production unit, that sort of thing. But I tried desperately not to be in that position. I was supposed to be managing rather than doing um, but no, so it was the, the previous job, which was the more physical. And it sounds like you had some symptoms before with some balance issues, some lightheaded dizziness. Are you on any medications? Do you ever offer anything? Yes, they have. I have tried them and I've tried one or two antidepressants. And another, the, then the pain consultant suggested another one called duloxetine. I don't know if it's the same name elsewhere. I have to admit that was absolutely horrible experience. <laughs> the side effects of that was, no, get me off of this. I'd rather learn to cope. And having studied meditation, it was like a head start, 20-year head start. No, I, th I need to, if it's going to be that bad, try on this medication. I just want to get back to being me. And I, the other one was 
pregabalin lyrica yeah same thing pregabalin yeah yeah and again the side effects and and i now know that's because i have a highly sensitive nervous system and that affects my gut and you know that goes back to sort of 20 odd years ago when i found out intolerance to certain foods and this is how far back i think the fibro this is how far back i think the whole fibro story goes if not beyond that maybe back to childhood Dale talked about duloxetine, and the response to duloxetine varies. Some people don't have any positive response or may have side effects, and some people have a mild to moderate improvement. Again, any medication has to be assessed for effectiveness and for side effects, and also recognize that this is one part of a multifaceted approach. So going 20 years, late 20s, early 30s, that you need to be mindful of foods and had yeah. and what yeah. foods you did well with and what were foods that tended to aggravate <laughs> you. The main two, and I think from the other stories I've, I've heard and people I've spoken to, I think it's similar for a lot of people is, is gluten in wheat and dairy were the two main ones. And cutting those out back then made a huge difference to being able to function. I had a test, a private test to identify that because I was getting severe bloating, uncomfortable, drowsy in the afternoon, more than you would expect in the sort of the afternoon shift, sitting in office at a screen, trying not to close my eyes. Yeah, cutting those out made a huge difference. And then I found after a little while, probably about eight, nine years, I was starting to wonder if I could introduce those back again. And to a little extent, I could with wheat, with gluten. Dairy, no, absolute no. I was asthmatic as a child. And if I'd known and cut out dairy, then I'm sure I wouldn't have been. It made that big a difference. And it still does. And once you've lost something for so long, you don't want to go near it again. Even the smell of cow's milk now really doesn't. Oh, I can't stand it. If someone has normal milk in their tea, or oh, it's the smell is awful for me. This will horrify some people, but even the smell of pizza now. It just, no, I can't do that. If my son's having pizza for dinner, it's no, I can't do it. Like that's the worst of all worlds with the wheat and the dairy. So I, I tried to maintain that as much as I could to try and have some sort of, you know, to try and function, to try and grab something to eat as we do. And you slip into bad habits again. Like I say, going back out, going into a job where I was on the road a lot, traveling long distances across the UK, you fall back into that. But it's something since I ground to a halt in 2019 has definitely had to be cut out. And I've since found other foods I've had to cut out include refined sugar, anything with refined sugar in it, but also honey, dried fruits, normal fruits, fine. Fresh fruit is fine. And alcohol, I've completely cut that out. Fibro fog is bad enough without drinking alcohol. You don't need that. And caffeine. Caffeine for me now is so painful if I consume it going in and when it tails off and just the in-between. For anyone who struggles with restless legs, it's that times 10 all over your body (laughs) for me as the caffeine goes in. I asked Dale what his sleep has been like. My sleep has got a lot better. I don't have, (laughs) unfortunately, in terms of income, but fortunately, I don't have the stress of a work commitment at the moment because of my brain fog being so severe sleep has got a lot better but also because i've been able to build my daily routine with my meditation with my yoga with going out for my walks doing exercise and as we'll discuss more later with my music and everything else i can get myself into a nice place daily and come bedtime i've got the routine there i would say to the family i'm gonna have to go 
to bed if they're sitting up watching something it's sorry guys i'm just gonna have to go to bed and they understand that now is that it's too painful for me not to and i'll pass out on the sofa if i don't go to bed and pass out Mm -hmm. so sleep has got a lot better and including recently being able to get back to sleep if i wake at silly o'clock in the night so two three in the morning i may not be able to get those off back to sleep straight away but if i just do my meditative breathing and just not stress about being awake at that time and that I'm not going to get enough sleep. Then I eventually, next thing I know, I'm waking up again and realise I've fallen back to sleep. So I've found that I've had to remove a lot of the stress. Before I had a lot of work, things going on in my brain all the time. It's constantly worrying, even when I was asleep, unfortunately. And thinking about the next day and the next week, I don't have that now. And that really is a big help in respect of being able to look after my health a bit more not such a help in other ways in terms of contributing to the family at the moment in ways that I would like to be and had planned to be. Dale had mentioned restless leg syndrome and I asked him to elaborate more on the symptoms that he's had. Yes, I did. Most evenings I'd be sitting there and just, yeah, all of a sudden the pain from the lower spine, right at the base to the spine, all the way down the legs. And the one thing I've found that alleviates that is probably other things as well. But I do know that from taking high dose magnesium each day, so taking a high dose twice a day, I don't get it anymore. My wife says sometimes I have it in the night, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't notice. I'm asleep. <laughs> studies, have, there have not been many strong studies looking at the efficacy of magnesium. Those that are out there showed mixed results and there is yet to be any double-blinded study. Many people will say that it doesn't do much. Some people may say it helps them. I plan to do an episode in the future looking at magnesium and fibromyalgia. Did you ever take, when you had when you're on the pregabalin or Lyrica, did you ever take that before bedtime and that had an impact on your legs? Yeah, that was that was a before bedtime medication. Don't I don't recall. There was a lot going on at that time. And obviously I was trying to get to grips with having fibromyalgia and trying to work out, having had to stop working, what the next steps were. So trying to remember exactly how things were affecting me at the time. And that the challenge was I was taking those while I was still working as well. So I still had that stress and adrenaline going through my system. So it's not really a sort of a like-for-like comparison as it is now. Dale had said that about 20 years ago, he recognized the impact certain foods had on gastrointestinal symptoms and how he felt in general. And I asked if there were any observations made in retrospect that might fall under the fibromyalgia umbrella. Yeah, it's interesting because the neurologist that I was seeing 2018-19, he ran through a series of questions, a lot about family and background, that sort of thing, but also things about loving music and and it was like yes <laughs> do you always have music in your brain yes I do do you hear embellishments in music that aren't there but you think if only if, if I did that I would put an orchestra here I'd do this yes I do I, I did play music at school from about the age of six so I was playing recorder then the flute in the orchestras and now I play guitar and it, his conclusion was before he mentioned fibromyalgia so this was about nine months before fibromyalgia mention was central sensitivity syndrome So he says, you've got a highly sensitive system. What's interesting, until a few years ago, 
the diagnostic code for fibromyalgia didn't exist in the United States. So what I had to use was central pain syndrome. And interestingly, the neurologist used the central pain sensitivity syndrome, which to me is an umbrella term for fibromyalgia and related problems. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. And looking back, I had allergies as a child. So I started with dust and mold allergies very young and I was always sneezing and coughing and then I had asthma I think from about the age of 14. One day instead of coming halfway up the field in a cross-country run at school I was at the back and couldn't work out why I couldn't breathe and that was the asthma diagnosis. So there were signs growing pains not being able to play football for a month under the orders of the doctor is very painful uh, in its own right let alone having the growing pains. It's like you've got to stop all sport for a month what? <laughs> that, yeah, there were signs there. Were the growing pains at night when you were trying to sleep or were they while you were running? They were all the time. Yeah, it was like shin splints, they called it back then. So it felt like your, your shins were going to shatter for every step you took. Um, okay. And it could be overuse injuries. It's interesting because trying to differentiate as a doctor, the word growing pains is a lay diagnosis, but there's two subtypes. One is a growth plate that hasn't healed or a tendon that's overused, which is the knees. But then there's a type that now we understand is really more restless leg syndrome. And it's my legs ache while I'm trying to fall asleep. If it was shin splints, it should be. Or Oscar Schlatter's Yes, that's, that's what they, that's the oh. phrase they used. Yeah. 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 That should feel better when you're resting. But you had sensitivities looking back were you more of a sensitive person to certain environments when you look at socially noise, light, sound, and in, in some aspects, obviously you enjoy music, but in, in other ways? Yeah, I was probably the archetypal shy kid, introvert, sensitive to environments, to walking into a room, certain people, these sorts of things. And actually listening to because I, I struggle to read, I listened to a lot of podcasts, including your own. And the light bulb moment for me in understanding where I've come from and what I've been through has been to learn that the phrase highly sensitive person, which I think it's Dr. Elaine Aaron coined at about 96. And I listened to a few episodes about this and it was like, blimey, that's me. That's been me since day zero that that is me and then listening to more about introverts and how they function and this sort of thing and piecing this together you wonder if, if I was predisposed to get fibromyalgia if I didn't correct the path that I was on so it all makes sense with this recent fairly recent research into highly sensitive people and what that means it now gives me something to think make it easier to set boundaries to know who I am and to think you know what 
fibromyalgia has stopped me going down one path. What I need to now do is regroup with all this new knowledge and move on with that and use that to stay true to who I am. Those are a lot of the same insights that I've learned over the years. I've always been interested in these invisible illnesses and Dale's history is very similar to many of the patients that I've seen and likely to many of those who are listening to the podcast. I read the book, Highly Sensitive People, and feel that there's a lot that overlaps. A lot of times I think of the blind man and the elephant. All these different blind men are looking at the elephant and they're describing different aspects of it. And in one sense, the highly sensitive people uh, overlaps a little bit with the autism spectrum. And according to the author of Highly Sensitive Personality or People, is that about up to 20% of people fall under this spectrum. And just having the insights that there are different ways that the brain and different ways that people perceive the world. And unfortunately, that can have a impact on problems like fibromyalgia. And like Dale said, if there was this recognition of this earlier in life, there might have been some insights that could be used to help course correct. So that if you're younger or if one of your children are more highly sensitive and you yourself may be on the fibromyalgia spectrum, hopefully there are some things that you can do to help reduce the intensity or even the risk of developing fibromyalgia. A lot of times these insights and observations are made decades after somebody has had struggles. Now, if they have children and or if you have a child that's going through similar things, you can hopefully help implement a fibromyalgia protective uh, lifestyle. That's where we will finish this week's episode. We will continue the conversation with Dale. The music that you're listening to now comes from Dale Rothwell and his creative mind. The title is Say Goodbye. Until next week, go Team Fibro. Nothing you could do. I stopped you in your tracks. There's no turning back. Gave you plenty of warning signs, but now you're mine. A fight that you can't win. So let's begin because I am you and you me. This is how it's gonna be. Say goodbye.
say goodbye Say goodbye No one knows the battle inside Because I like to hide Every step, every thought, every word I make it so damn hard Say Say goodbye.